0: podcast there we have texas native left-handed pitcher and outfielder two-way player heading to tennessee for that 2023 class we got Braden sharp on the podcast Braden, super pumped to get you on the show man how are you doing today pretty good pumped to be on here how about yourself i'm doing good man awesome glad to have you Uh, but no one question before we kind of dig into baseball a little bit that i do like to ask everybody is for those who don't know you how would you introduce yourself who exactly is Braden sharp
1: So Brayden Sharp is a person that is just very outgoing. He loves talking with people, loves picking people's brains. He's a baseball addict. That's the one thing. He eats, sleeps, breathes baseball.
0: Okay. Love to hear it, man. Baseball is awesome. And obviously the whole JKR podcast is surrounded about baseball. So obviously my passion, my favorite sport. But no, you just got done with your pitching lesson, you said. So kind of dig into that a little bit of maybe what you guys are focusing on at this time in the year in the offseason and who your actual uh, pitching trainer is.
1: So I've been down for a for about two months right now. So we're starting to get back up and throwing from the summer. Um, So today it was just kind of light stuff. It was seven throws from 30 feet, seven throws from 45, seven throws from 60, and then 25 throws from 75. And you do that three times. And then it's just a bunch of towel work just trying to speed up the arm, get it back to where it was.
0: Yeah. So after after summer ball, kind of what was that process like that, um, when it came to like arm care and just deloading all the way up to at this point in the season where you're looking forward to the spring? Like, how does that whole process go for you when it comes from deloading to ramping back up for the spring?
1: So it, I just threw a lot over the spring and the summer. It was just a lot of workload. I had to kind of manage that, which was a little, little tough to manage all those innings. But um, it was just basically just staying on a schedule kind of and just not throwing, but keeping the arm in shape during all that
0: okay so you are you aren't like like I mentioned like before we started recording before I thought you were just a left-handed pitcher head to Tennessee but I found out you are a two-way player Tennessee has given you that option um so with you being a pitcher and a two-way kind of digging that a little bit kind of what the struggles are with that and just what it's like being a two-way player
1: so the struggles of that is learning to manage your throws a lot of my throws I don't do in the outfield a lot of my throws are in the bullpen Every here and now I'll take some in and out with some outfield throws, but uh, most of the time my throws are in the bullpen. And then just hitting hitting, and pitching are go neck and neck. If you know how to pitch, you're going to know how to hit and how to pitch yourself and look for stuff that pitchers are going to throw you.
0: Yeah. So with you being a two-way player, playing the outfield as well, obviously where you're having to make those long throws in game, like do you think you have potentially like a different arm care routine than a, let's say a, P- a PO who's um in your same spot?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say a lot. I do most of my arm care stuff as a pitcher just because that's what's going to get me there, I feel like. So I I focus on pitching arm care more than outfield arm care because I feel like it will just overlap and be the same pretty much.
0: Okay. So with you playing the outfield and a pitcher, um, where where do you think the future is for you? Let's say a two-way player doesn't always, like, let's say five, seven years down the road. Are you thinking you're going to be – Are you obviously you want to try and be a two-way player as long as Mm -hmm. possible. But um, when it does come time to potentially maybe focus on one side of things like when like what do you think that'll be?
1: It's going to be hard to give a hitting, but it, I think eventually I'll end up being a pitcher.
0: OK, so digging into hitting a little bit. So kind of take us through what your hitting approach is. Let's say you just you're walking up from the on deck circle to the batter's box. Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking about what you want to do with each at bat and kind of just take us through what your mindset is as you walk up to the batter's box.
1: So I'm the lead-off hitter. So that's in my opinion the easiest spot to hit no matter no matter what. You're up there oh oh first pitch of the game fastball. If it misses, you're you're 1-0, you're expecting another fastball. If you if it's a strike, you I might I swing first pitch most of the time. Just because you know it's going to be a fastball right down the middle. of The pitcher's trying to get ahead of you.
0: So are you are you one of those guys that likes to let's say you get two strikes on you, are you still swinging away pretty good or are you still swinging away kind of the same way as if there are zero to one strikes? Or do you kind of have a, a pretty good two-strike approach when it comes to that? So
1: my nothing in my stance changes. It's my approach that changes um, during a two-strike count. I don't, I've never been the dude to change a swing because my timing is just so important to me. So I've never been the person to change anything in my swing and just change my mindset.
0: Okay. So take us through what that swing is um, just in terms of like the mechanics of it, just from the start to where you're there waiting for the pitcher to throw it, um, all the way through to where your finish is like.
1: So, um, two strikes. I just try to put the ball in play. Dude, don't get beat on the fastball. That's my one rule. With two strikes. If he if he throws you anything else and you get fooled, just tip your cap to him because he he got he caught you. But just don't get beat by a fastball.
0: Okay. So you have that you have that pitching. Uh, sorry, you had that pitching lesson there earlier today with that trainer. Mm. Uh, when it comes to the hitting side of things, do you have a hitting trainer as well, or do you kind of work on that on, on your own, or just what some of your coaches in high school?
1: So my dad is my hitting trainer. He. He pitched in college, he, play, he pitched at EKAU, Eastern Kentucky, but um, he is a baseball guru too. He sits there, watches videos, knows what he's talking about, and translates that into me.
0: Okay, so I assume uh, when it comes to your dad being such a good uh, baseball player in his past, uh, being kind of influential within your baseball career, if you had to go and just pick two, three, potentially even four people who have been the most influential within your baseball career, who do you think those people would be and what would be the reasons for, uh, for them?
1: So the top three right off right off the bat, my mom, my dad, my sister, they have been with me throughout this whole journey, flying everywhere every summer, just seeing me grow up, watching me grow up playing baseball and mature as I play the game. And then the last one's just a it's just a tie of a bunch of people. You have my trainer, uh, Francisco Morentes. You have Kevin Byrne, my pitching coach. You have all the high school coaches that have helped me throughout the years and then all my travel ball coaches that have helped me throughout the years.
0: Yeah. So with Kevin Byrne, like you said, he is a former Major League Baseball player. So when you're around guys like him and you guys are just, you know, chopping it up, talking, not really like going through like drills and he's actually not training, you guys are just talking. Like, what are some questions you like to ask guys like that who've experienced quite a bit within their careers, just like picking their brain and kind of seeing what they've been through? So just the my biggest thing is I am a pitcher
1: but I don't necessarily know how to pitch. So I asked them, what are you throwing in this count? What, how do you throw this? Where would you throw it? And then all the tunneling questions. That's just kind of my big thing. I'm just trying to learn to be a better pitcher and just not a thrower.
0: Okay. So when you're training with some of these guys, I mean, Kevin Byrne, like I said, like you said, pro, uh, pro ball player. Um, do these guys have pretty good uh, data and tech, uh, the, the technology like TrackMan, man mm-hmm. Soto, are you working with some of that or is a lot of it kind of just um, without the technology?
1: So at our high school, we have Rap Soto for hitting and pitching. But then when you go to um, Kevin, it's, he's old
0: school, so he just does his own stuff over there. It's just kind of all analog stuff over there. Okay. I mean, old, I mean, I mean, old school works good, too. I yes. Mean, mm-hmm. because, I mean, we're in a day and age now where everyone's talking about, oh, technology, 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 this. And, I mean, old school is still fine. I mean, obviously, you get some good data and some good analytics with those. Rap sodos, mm-hmm. Trackman's and stuff like that, but no, old school is always always a great go-to as well. Uh, but yes. no, when you're on the mound, when you're on the mound, uh, kind of take us through what your pitching repertoire is a little bit, um, just the pitches that you throw and kind of how you got the uh, how you got to where you're at now in your repertoire.
1: So I don't necessarily throw a large amount of four seams fastballs. It's kind of just a backup pitch if I need it. I mostly throw two seams because I, I don't know why I've always been a two seam guy, two seam slider guy. Um, so my slider. My curveball and then my splitter.
0: Okay, so when did you add those couple uh, second secondary pitches?
1: So I've always had a good curveball. That's kind of always been my thing. But um, I say freshman years when I finally started adding my slider because my two C moves so much one way. I would I wanted to kind of like pattern it with a su- with something that moves the opposite direction, but almost looks the same at the same time. And then my splitter, I've been working on it for so long. I've never actually been consistent with it until I'd say probably. PDP was probably the very very first time I I had confidence in my
0: splitter okay so where you sit currently what do you think the pitch is that needs the most work
1: still my splitter it's getting there but it's just still it could it could be better yeah
0: and are you are you pretty dead set with the pitches that you're throwing right now or do you think in the near future at all future at all before you head to Tennessee you might be adding another pitch to your repertoire just to mix it up a little bit
1: so I think I'm I need to work on my four-seam a lot more. Change eye levels, high, higher spin at times, just kind of have that in my back pocket too.
0: Yeah. So when you have a pitch that's already a part of your pitching repertoire, like your four-seam fastball, and you do want to continue to evolve that, continue to make that just as good as your other pitches, like how are you going about that? Like what are some drills that you're doing or just some things that you're focusing on when you're trying to make that pitch better?
1: Just basically playing catch and just playing around with it. There's a bunch of I, I say there's a bunch of different ways to throw it just kind of like your thumb placement then that's really it. it's just whatever comfortable whatever's comfortable for you and whatever you find is that pitch
0: okay so besides your four seam fastball before besides your splitter um and when you head to Knoxville here this next fall or whatever happens next summer uh, what do you think is the biggest thing that you want to work on within your game uh, just as you kind of go up to the next level beyond high school baseball Just
1: getting bigger and stronger. My biggest thing has always been putting on weight. I do so much that it's never been really easy to obtain weight for me. Uh, The past two weeks, I've put on 15 pounds. So it's it's starting to work. It's just that I've never been the most consistent eater. But now that when you start to try
0: to track all your stuff, that's when you start becoming consistent. That's when it
1: becomes um, set in stone.
0: Okay. So what'd you do so great these past two weeks that's made you gain those 15 pounds?
1: Like I just said, eat, 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 no matter what. Okay,
0: Always have food in your hand. Okay, what what are some of the things you like to eat?
1: Uh, chicken and rice is my main lunch. Okay. That okay. it's just a lot of calories, a lot of protein in there. And then um for, for dinner, it's just it's some sort of protein, no matter what. And then right before you go to bed, I think my thing, my biggest secret is having a protein shake right before you go to bed because you can't you're not burning it off when you go before you go to sleep. It's just sitting there with you.
0: Right, and are you are you meal prepping or are you making this stuff every day?
1: Making it every single day.
0: Oh man, that's so, I, so my, the way my schedule is, the way I set up my schedule is on Sunday. Like I'll make like six meal preps and like kind of consistently eat them for lunch and dinner throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And I could, man, oh, man, <laughs> cooking rice and cooking chicken every day, man, that's gotta be tough. Yes. So mm-hmm. I, no, I, I wish I could eat, pro, drink protein shakes and stuff. I'm like the opposite problem problems where like, I can lift a lot, but man, I could like, cause I'm like, I'm six, I'm six, three, like two eighty. And I mean, I can lift mm-hmm. a lot and stuff, but man, I just can't lose weight. Like what the hell? <laughs> no. Uh, but no, if you were, if you were a scout watching your game, so let's say you were a scout, you know, watching you at the PDP or whatever the, the event was this past summer. And you were doing, uh, you were digging into a personal scouting report on your game um, on the mound, in the batter's box, in the outfield. Uh, just what would be that personal scouting report on yourself?
1: Oh, crap. Uh, I've never actually thought about this question before. Uh, I'd say they would, probably on the mound they'd call me fastball heavy i love my fastball i it's my bread and butter you i want you to beat me fair and square i don't want to leave anything over the plate where you can get your bat to it um and then hitting wise but I, um my speed is probably the biggest thing that jumps out at people
0: okay so what so when you are looking at your pitching repertoire what are those speeds that you're sitting at right now
1: so before the summer ended i topped 95 on my fastball and i'm sitting anywhere from 91 to 93 and then my slider is about 79 to 82 ish. My splitter is about 84. And then my curveball is just kind of my get me over slow pitch. It's about 73, 74, but that it it works. It's consistent.
0: Yeah. yeah. So with the fastball, so digging into kind of like your freshman to your senior year, um, when it comes to velocity wise, like mm-hmm. how much did you jump from your freshman, sophomore, sophomore, junior to where you're at now?
1: So freshman year, I think I topped out at 83. Sophomore year, I was eighty-nine, and then last year I was ninety-five.
0: Okay. So you came into high school throwing 83, obviously where I'm from. I mean, that's pretty, that's like unreal, but obviously in Mm -hmm. Texas, I mean, there's so many great ball players. Like I said, in my mind, I think Texas high school baseball is the the best baseball in the country, Uh, but no, like what is it, what is that like? Like were you one of the only guys who was throwing that as a freshman or was there a lot of people in your area who could also kind of throw that as well and kind of, were all kind of with you on a competitive level.
1: So every single team in the district has a going to be a senior now that has thrown the same exact speed as I have my whole high school career. It's Texas high school baseball is just crazy. Everyone out here is competitive. No matter if you throw 83, 93, everyone out here is competitive.
0: Okay. So let's just kind of take us through what Texas high school baseball is like in your area. You said you're North of Texas, uh, North of Houston. Um, I believe the Woodlands, did you guys have uh, like, I know you guys have had a couple pro ball players go through your school. Was One of them, Cody Hmm. Bellinger.
1: No. uh -uh. no.
0: Well, whoever, who, who were some of you guys' uh, alumni to go through your school? Uh, uh,
1: Paul Goldschmidt, Jamison Tyone, and then Drew Romo, most okay. Uh, recently.
0: Okay, Paul Goldschmidt was who it was because I remember I interviewed somebody from the Woodlands uh, this past spring. I can't remember who it was. Um I did like this twenty-five person interview series with nothing but guys from Texas, and there, I I remember seeing the Woodlands a couple times. I just could not remember mm-hmm. like who exactly they were. Um, But no, just kind of take us through what baseball is like up there, North Houston, um, some other teams that are pretty good in your guys' area as well. And uh, just what it's like on a, on a day-to-day basis uh, going through your spring schedule.
1: So, like I said earlier, it's, everyone is competitive up here. Like you don't have to be the biggest dude. You don't have to be the strongest dude, tallest dude or anything. You're just, everyone out here is athletic, is an athlete, and just competes out here. Um, Every pitcher in our district, I think I think the top two pitchers in, in every team, this district throws 90. So a lot of good velocity up here. A lot of good hitters up here. Um, our rivals right now, I would say it would be um, Oak Ridge high school. They um, have a catcher, Connor Bennett going to Houston. Um, their pitcher, their ACE is um, Hayden Morris going to um, UT. that six, eight throws like 94, 95. So yeah, got some tough spin on that tough angles on that. And then, that's just like I said. Everyone, it's just competitive. It's different out here.
0: So, how many how many Power Five commits do you think you're playing um, in a, in, a, in just a normal spring season down there in Texas?
1: That's a lot. That, that's that's what I gotta say. So, on our team, we have three right off the bat. Uh, on our team, we have me going to Tennessee. Our number two is going to um, Houston Baptist, and then uh, Carson Kimball is going to uh, Texas State.
0: Okay, and who are and then is it you three that are headed to Division One schools, or are there some other guys maybe in your guys's lineup who are also heading to Division One schools?
1: There, we have two um, junior college commits right now. Um, Tyler Sincere is going to Wharton. He was ninety to ninety three the other day. His his brother um, is the third baseman at Baylor right now, and then um, Sammy York. He's going to Western Texas.
0: Okay, so what what was that last season like? This past spring, your junior season. Um, How did you guys play? Um, what was kind of the outcome of? Oh, however, however, um, the competition level was like, and then what's the outlook on this upcoming spring going into your senior year?
1: Last season was just electric. The seniors and juniors, which it was a senior junior heavy team. I think we only have one sophomore on our team. We all got along together, perfect. Like we've no, we've grown up playing with each other, so we just all gelled perfectly. Um, made it to round four in the playoffs. Could have made the five, in my opinion. We didn't have the series that we wanted. But then um, we only lost two, three starters this year. So it's a lot of the same team as last year. And then I think we have a shot this year.
0: Okay. So how, so how does that state tournament work in Texas? Um, because, I mean, I know every state's different when it comes to like, oh, like you have to be from a certain region to qualify for, mm. what, like you have to qualify for your region or however it ends up working. When it comes to Texas high school baseball, like how does that work on making the state tournament and how the state tournament's ran?
1: So the top four teams in every district uh, make the playoffs. It, so I think it starts with 128 teams, and then it um, keeps going down every round. And then the semi, which every round is a series until you get to the semis, The semis. The semis and the finals are um, just one-game series.
0: Man, one-game one series for a state, state mm-hmm. championship. Well, and that's – well, and actually in Indiana. So I'm from Indiana. And that's actually how our whole state tournament is ran, is one game. Oh. So you you have to you have to be a 3-4 man rotation deep of yep. solid pitchers to just to even compete at compete and go go deep into the tournament. But Exactly. Mm-hmm. So with you be with you being a senior um and you heading into kind of going through fall ball now with these guys and kind of just are you a kind of a, a leader in that clubhouse at all or um how do, how does that look for you uh just being a guy who you know is committed to Tennessee now? Um, you're throwing. You said you're throwing low 90s, topping out, topping out at 95. Um, are you looked at as a leader in that clubhouse, um, or is it, are you kind of just like on the quiet side when it comes to uh, being with your guys? So I think I'm
1: a leader and a little bit of quiet at the same time. I love helping people, getting, help, trying to get them better. But at times I can be quiet and just sit back and kind of let them do their own thing. But um, I I like to see myself as a leader.
0: Okay, so let's transition a little bit into travel ball. So you play for the Bandito Bandito Scout Team. So can I just take us through how you got connected with them and what it's been like these past couple years playing for them?
1: So my freshman year, so eighth grade year, I played for a small town or small team out here in Texas, the Kings. They they don't really have a high school program. So once you get your freshman year, that team kind of fizzles out. And then um, Drew Romo actually told me, hey, go to the Banditos. They'll get you seen and everything over there. And Ray has done wonders for so many people out there.
0: So, so who is the, who is the coach for the, the Banditos?
1: Ray De Leon.
0: Okay. And does he, does he kind of, does he coach this, like a certain level, like the 17U team, or does he coach like a certain age group and kind of just moves along with them? Um, as they... So he picks his teams
1: and then moves with them up. And then once they, once they graduate, he just goes, he just starts to cycle all over again.
0: Okay. So what is your relationship like with him? Very, very close.
1: We're we joke around. We laugh. We give each other crap all the time. He takes it. I take it. It's just it's just a big family over there.
0: OK, so what what? So with you kind of just being an insider of that Banditos program and going be, being part of their program now for three, four years, what do you think has led to their success? Because, I mean, as I go through kind of their website and see the alumni, I mean, I saw Jameson Tyone. I saw multiple other former Major League ball players. Um, Just what do you think personally has led to the, the success of their program?
1: Just the reputation that they have, and they've kicked butts over town, over the nation, just multiple years, over and over and over again, and that just that for me, that that's what attracted me too. They're a good team; they've historically been a good team, and then that's where you want to take your talents.
0: Yeah. So with with some of those major league uh, alumni that you guys have a part of the Banditos program, have any of them tried to have any of them came back these past couple of years when you've been training with them um, to kind of give you guys a little bit of knowledge or anything like that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I know Aaron Nixon; he's been he's been back and forth. He's, I think he's at UT. Oh no, Mississippi state. Now he's the closer for Mississippi state. And then, um, once again, drew I, his name keeps popping up. It's just cause yeah. he's been, he's been with me through this whole process too. He's helped me with everything.
0: So, so now that, so now that you're kind of, your travel ball career is somewhat coming to an end, I believe you're probably done with travel ball, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that your travel ball career has come to an end, as you kind of look back on these last two, three years, just what are some of your favorite memories that come to your mind when you're thinking about travel ball, playing for the Banditos, uh, doing those couple cool events that you were a part of this summer um, as your senior uh, your senior uh, summer? Uh, just kind of take us through what some of those memories are.
1: So it's just the me- the relationships you make. That's my biggest thing. I love making relationships with people with people you've never thought you would ever meet in your whole entire life, but then you cross paths with them. And then you're just like, "Oh, you're actually pretty cool, dude!" And then you just get talking and um, all that. Like, a lot of people from Texas, I didn't had no clue who they were before this summer. And then this summer hit, and then
0: we all became pretty much friends. Yeah. So, who were some of those other guys from Texas that you were able to come uh, become friends with? So,
1: I've always been somewhat friends with Travis Sakura, but then this this summer is when we started becoming closer uh, up there. Um, Barrett Kent, um, MJ Seo. It's just kind of, like everyone, pretty much from Texas, you you gel with.
0: Yeah, I mean, i like I said, I, I did that. I did that Texas interview series a while back, and no, I really, I really enjoy talking to all you Texas guys. I mean, I'm I'm a country guy, so I guess I kind of fit in <laughs> with with Texas people, I guess. But no, I interviewed MJ. Um, I, I mean, I, I tried to re- I tried to reach out to Travis Sakura, but obviously, if you're throwing a hundred as a as a senior in high school, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're a hard guy to get a hold of.
1: Uh, yeah, like, it's oh, not the easiest to hit off him either. Uh-uh. Yeah.
0: I've got a I've got an interview series coming up with the Texas twelve. Um so I'm hoping mm-hmm. I'm hoping I get Blake Mitchell to get on Blake to, mm-hmm. to come on the show because he'd be another cool guy. Uh because when it comes to the twenty-three class in Texas, what is it? It's what Sakura Mitchell, you're number four. Who's who's that third guy who's Barrett Kent. Barrett Kent. Okay. And he's going to mm-hmm. tech, right?
1: He's going to
0: Arkansas. Arkansas. Okay. Well, I feel like I've had half the Arkansas team on, on my podcast. Yes. I just mm-hmm. I just gotta add him now. Shoot. <laughs> No, but so when you're going to all these different travel ball events, I assume you guys, for the most part, with you being in Texas, are either staying in the state or going out east to Lake Point, East Cobb. I know you played in Cary for the USA uh, PDP. Mm-hmm. Um, Hoover's another one. Uh, when it comes to, like, just your favorite facility, when you just go and play in these different travel ball events, what what has been your favorite facility so far um, for, for a travel ball tournament?
1: I would have to say, um, why can't I think of it? East Cobb.
0: East, Cobb. East Cobb's
1: easily probably the nicest travel ball facility I've ever been to.
0: Okay, yeah, East Cobb, East Cobb's in my favorite so far. But I've really only been to like the ones in the Midwest, and then mm-hmm. East Cobb. I know when I when I was going through East Cobb and be like, man, this place is awesome. People were telling me that Lake Point is kind of like one little, one little, a step little ahead. step above. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I've just I mean, never I,
1: been there. I I can't say it's my favorite because I've never played there. So that's okay. I wish yeah. I could have, but.
0: Yeah, I know. I know next summer I'm, I'm going to be going there. So I'm, ex- I'm excited for that. No, but East you know, East Cobb's awesome. Kind of walking there and kind of seeing like all the trees is kind of just back up in that um, where no one can kind of really see it. I've got all those. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the concession stand food there is also pretty awesome as well.
1: Oh, that that's probably the most elite concession stand food I've ever had. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so with this summer, kind of what was this summer like? What was it different? How do you compare this past summer, your summer, uh, your senior summer when you're going to all these uh, area code no, yeah. Area code mm-hmm. uh, the baseball factory, um US USA PDP. How do you compare this senior summer to summers that you've had in the past? Oh, uh, when it comes to schedule wise,
1: oh, this summer was just jam packed. It was nonstop. I think I was maybe home for two weeks, maybe two and a half. This whole like total, this whole entire
0: summer. Yeah, I know. I talked to Derek Derek Schaefer once, and he said that he mm-hmm. was in a hotel room for 37 days straight
1: yes Mm -hmm. i think i was in one for about
0: 20 something yeah that's i mean i mean it's a cool summer obviously i mean you're not you're not even 18 years old and you're kind of just traveling the country going different Mm -hmm. places for baseball which is cool but let's let's dig into some of those events that you were a part of this summer starting with area code so kind of take us through what that was like day to day um kind of how you figured out you were getting invited and just what that overall experience was like for you
1: so that tryout um I had a very good try. I was 92, 93, the whole, every single pitch. I, it kind of made me mad though, that I was only, I couldn't get above 93 because I just kept seeing three on the scoreboard. I'm like, just get deep, dig down, just get one more in you. And it just didn't happen, but I was not mad at all. But, uh, and then hitting wise, I went one for two. There was nothing to be mad about at that. And then um I made it, uh what was that sophomore year also. So they kind of already knew who I was, what they were looking at and already. And then the, I got the call to come back and I was, I was very happy about that.
0: So, did you see a big difference between the underclass area code experience you had two summers ago compared to what you had this summer?
1: Yes, everyone. You can tell just in the year that everyone had. Everyone got bigger, stronger, and started filling into filling into their bodies.
0: OK, so for for I know for the most part, like area code, like I know for the White Sox, for example, I mean, they're a part of Indiana, Illinois, mm-hmm. all these all these different states. But for that Ranger scout, the Rangers area code team that you were a part of, was it pretty much all of Texas or all other Texas. states that were involved?
1: All Texas. And I think we had one Oklahoma. I'm not don't quote me on that. I'm not sure about okay. that.
0: Because obviously, like I told you about the Texas 12 series, like I was going through and they had like seven guys on that, mm-hmm. that Rangers area. Code. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, with all you guys being from Texas, did you know the majority of those guys that were on that team? Or did you kind of have to go and kind of make, make quite a few friends uh, this past area code?
1: So a lot of the team was the same team as last year. I will say that. Um, so we've all played with each other for one year already. We were all kind of close, but the other kids I knew of, but didn't actually know. But then what, what like I said, once you start playing, it's just, everyone has fun and everyone gets to know each other and everyone starts to build relationships.
0: I'm sure. So who, who are some of the guys that you bonded with the most um, on that Rangers area code team?
1: So Barrett Kent, like I said, we did, we did baseball factory together. Also we've been, we done, I think we did every single event this summer together. And then um, like I said, Travis too, just knowing Travis for a long time. And then um, I can't think of his name. Oh, Cooper Strong because he was on the area code team last year too. yeah. So like, it's the close people that you can tell that you've played with before that you just bond together. Yeah,
0: I'm sure. So what it, on a day-to-day basis when it came to that area code experience, what did that look like just waking up, going to the field? Uh, just kind of take us through what the, what the average day looked like when you were doing area code.
1: So area code, you have kind of downtime until your game. So it's out in San Diego. There's so much to do in San Diego. There's beaches, amusement parks, literally anything you can think of. So you have your time before and after the game to do stuff. But when you get there, you walk in those the stadium, just scouts everywhere, just filled to the brim with scouts. I think that may be the most scouts I've ever seen in a like, vicinity like together.
0: Yeah. So when you're at events like that area code and you're seeing all the scouts just watching every single player um, that's there, and they're obviously watching you as well, um, how do you go about kind of just blocking them out and kind of just still going about playing your game the way that you would as if there's no scouts watching?
1: To be honest, you don't you don't really see them. You don't think about them when you're playing your game. You just got to stay true to yourself, what you know how to do, and then just block out everything. Stay in your zone.
0: Okay. so how did that area code experience compare to the USA PDP experience that you also got this summer? Because I mean, I know I mean, there's legit travel. Sorry, there's legit players on both of those events. But just how do those different events compare to each other and what are some of the differences that they have?
1: So at PDP, you stayed with roommates and stayed together in the same hotel. Everyone had their roommate. I had Bryce Eldridge as my roommate, which that was a fun experience with Bryce, considering he's about to be probably a first-rounder. But um, <laughs> So PDP, you stayed with roommates. Area code, you stayed with your family at, at every different location. But once you got to the field, it was the same faces pretty much. I have a couple different ones here and now, but pretty much the same faces in the same game.
0: Okay. So when you're at events like the area code, I like the PDP, I mean, you're around some legit coaches. So what it's like, what is it like when you're around coaches like that? Uh, just And what are you doing to kind of pick their brains as well? And just learning from all the experience they've had from just playing baseball across the country.
1: So with my experience with coaches like that, no question is a little question. They'll answer every single question you have, uh, even it's like I say, there's no stupid questions, but even if you think it's a stupid question, still ask it, they'll still give you an answer, an in-depth answer. Cause I know, um, uh, Howie Kendrick was there at PDP Uh, being left, like lefty, lefty, same side. I have trouble facing lefties. I asked him what he did, what he, how he fixed that and all that with his like going righty, righty. He said, just open your stance a little bit. He goes match the pitcher's arm angle. And that has made a huge difference for me. I can tell that I can tell you that for sure. Okay.
0: So moving away from area code, moving away from PDP, that last third event that you were also a part of this summer was that Baseball Factory All-American game. Obviously, a lot of, like you said, there's going to be a lot of similar faces as well. Um, but no, what was that Baseball Factory All-American game like for you at Kauffman Stadium?
1: That was probably my favorite experience I've ever had. You, They took your jerseys and everything when you checked in. You're like, why are you taking my jerseys? You walk in the next day in the stadium in the locker room. You have your own locker with your own jersey, your own name plaque. Everything's in there for you, your own pants. And then like you have your own baseball card. That's always been a dream of mine to have your own baseball card start signing your own baseball cards and that was just that was just the best experience of my life
0: okay so you actually you actually got to sign your own baseball card that eventually mm-hmm. is going to be sold somewhere yes mm-hmm. okay so what, what was that like signing your first card like they're like they just hand out cards to you they okay, like, hey, sign these uh they're going to go out to the public here and sometime in the near future so what was going through your head the first time you were signing those cards
1: that was just like holy crap this is a dream come true i've i've been a big baseball card collector my whole entire life we i have boxes just filled with baseball cards and then finally having your own you're like wow this is actually a dream come true
0: yeah so are you are you an old school baseball card type of guy or you you like the newer ones
1: any anything that i can get my hands on pretty much
0: and then are you collecting like if you had to pick a certain team like do you do you pick do you have all just Baseball in general or are you like a big like Astros collector, Rangers collector being down there in Texas or is it all baseball?
1: So I'm pretty much any sport. I love baseball cards the most, obviously being a big baseball fan, but football cards, anything, because I'm I'm a big three sport, the three three main sport person. I know a lot of everything about three main sports, but if I had to pick one team, I'm a Giants fan uh, for baseball, so that's probably the team I would have to pick.
0: Okay, so if you had to pick your prized possession in your card in your card collection, what would that be?
1: Ooh, this one isn't even a Giants card, but uh, it's a one of five Francisco Lindor relic auto.
0: Ooh, see, I like I would somewhat of a card collector. Like I would growing up, I was always like an autograph collector. I'd always find out like who the top prospects were playing in mm-hmm. like the minor league air, the minor league area like league in my in my area, and I would go and watch. Like I watched uh Vladdy Bo Bichette. Um, Eloy Jimenez, they were all like, Tatis, Tatis was mm-hmm. actually played in my hometown for a while, and they were kind of all in that same league for like one, two years, the Midwest League with the, with the South Bend Cubs, Fort Wayne 10 Caps, if you heard of those uh, teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But no, like I was always, I was always like a card guy for those type of, those type of dudes. Yeah. Um, but no, was that your, was Kaufman Stadium your first stadium you were able to play in, or have you played in other major league parks as well?
1: Um, I think that was my first major league park I played in.
0: Okay, so what was that like walking up the steps of those dugout and you're just looking around? You're like, man, like, I mean, all the, I mean, the 2015 World Series champions played here, like all the guys who have played here in the past. Like, what was what was that like? And going through your head,
1: that was breathtaking. Walking up the steps and then finally seeing the whole entire field, you don't realize how big an MLB stadium is sitting from the stands. You have to be down on that field looking up at every single seat, and then it's just crazy how many people can fit in there.
0: Yeah. And then
1: also. My um Giants of 2014 won there. So that was also cool being there. True,
0: true. I mean <laughs> I mean you got you guys had a pretty good run there for a couple of years. 10, 12, and fourteen. Yeah. Well I'm a I'm a Cubs guy. And in sixteen, when we, we were up two, I think it was two one on you guys um in the NLDS. And then yep. like uh game four, we like we give up like his huge lead. And I'm like, man, like here we go again, <laughs> like here goes the the even the even year, t- like because it was always those even years, the Not
1: even like, years. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I was like, man, here we go again. We're we're losing. Giants are gonna win it this year. Like what the. <laughs> heck? All right. So, playing in Texas, where, like we said, Texas high school baseball is legit, potentially the number one state in the United States when it comes to high school baseball. Playing for the Banditos, where you guys are playing in all those top travel ball events, and then the area code PDP and the baseball factory. Who is the best hitter that you have ever faced? And then, after that, who is the best pitcher that you face when you're in the batter's box?
1: This is a rough question right here. Um, Holy crap. I haven't actually thought about this before. I say Travis is the hardest pitcher I've ever faced. Just trying to get timing down. I, I get happy if I foul a ball off Travis. That's, that's the main point right there. And then, um, the hitter's a tough one. I I didn't pitch very many innings this, this summer. I only pitched one or two at a time. Ah, man, you really put me on the spot here. This is, this is tough. Um, I say just because I faced him so many times and just played with him so much in my life, um, Connor Bennett—that's kind of the one dude that I just can't get out.
0: Okay, and where's where's he heading to school at?
1: Um, he was going to Vanderbilt, but he's now going to um Houston.
0: Okay, so you said you only threw one to two innings at a time there this past summer. So what was that like? What like what was your what was your pitching schedule for the most part this summer? Um, and then were you still hitting quite a bit as well?
1: Yeah. So I hit. Mo- a lot of the summer, most of the summer. And then, um, I, since I threw so much in high school, it was kind of just take it easy, save yourself for the big events this summer.
0: All right. So moving into the recruiting process a little bit, obviously head to Tennessee, one of the best baseball programs within college baseball. So let's kind of dig into kind of how that all happened and how that recruiting process got started for you.
1: Yeah. So it was my freshman year, eighth, end of eighth grade going into freshman year. Um, I started getting recruited after 14 year national, all the, um, Teams or, yeah, the recruiting coordinators just texting me or calling me. I can't text that. Um, just calling you, um, asking you about stuff. And then um, I actually committed to Baylor as a freshman. But then uh, the, the coaching staff changed this year, kind of dropped that all for me. I was going to honor my commitment, go there. But then, um, like I said, the coaching staff changed. Uh, I just wanted to explore options again, possibly go to SEC school. And then um, Tennessee was um, my first go around freshman year, too. So they, they called me back again. I'm like, after this, after the last season, it's hard to, that they had, it's hard to say no to Tennessee after hitting that many home runs and having that many hundred mile an hour arms. It's hard to say no to that. But um, just, yeah, just going around, going there, um, going there is a different experience. That is a crazy school the football. They take football games. So seriously, 102,000 people. And they've sold out the last four home games. Yeah. If that says you, anything about that school.
0: Were you there for the Alabama game? I was not, sadly. I was there for the oh, Kentucky game. Okay, the, I mean, the Kentucky game was—you guys won the Kentucky game, right?
1: Hey, pretty, pretty bad too. Okay,
0: because I mean, <laughs> you guys, you guys lost this weekend, right?
1: That was rough. Yeah, that as, was as, rough.
0: Been, as the as the, the first time you guys being number one, right? Yeah, yeah. since nineteen
1: ninety eight, I think was the last time we were number one.
0: Okay, yeah, because my my boss, my internship boss, who I work for, like he's in, he lives in Nashville, but he's a huge Volunteer fan. And then obviously mm-hmm. Morgan Wallen's a big volunteer fan as well. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. So I've been kind of and Theo Vaughn, like kind of just people that I always just like see. And obviously I love Morgan Wallen. And I I've just been like, man, cheering for the volunteers. I'm still hoping you guys went out. Um something happens to where you guys are still able to make the CFP.
1: Yes. It was huge that Clemson and Alabama both lost last week. I will say that too. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I, I love that you guys put I love that the, the Tennessee fans put the, the field goal post in the river. I thought that was pretty that bad. was
1: that was awesome. Yeah,
0: that, that, that was cool. That was cool to see the next whole week on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Just everything. Seeing everything that was going on that week after yes. in Alabama. Uh, no, that was awesome. But uh, digging into that, that first recruiting process that you had, um, who were some of those schools that kind of started initially reaching out to you for the first time? And what were some of those like initial conversations like with you being an eighth grader heading into your freshman year of high school?
1: So the first, I say the main two schools were Duke and Baylor. They, those were kind of my two at the time, my two that I wanted to get for sure. And then I got them, I went to a camp, they they invited me out to the camp. That's kind of how it all starts. They invite you out to a camp to try to get to talk to you, know you more, since you can't really do that over the phone at, at yeah. that young of an age. So that's their way of getting around that, getting to know you, getting to talk to you. And then you go out there, perform, play your game, and then that's how kind of that's how it got to me.
0: Okay, so how long was it after those initial conversations you were having with Duke and Baylor until they kind of gave you those offers and you actually ended up committing to Baylor um, so early in your career?
1: So I say a couple of weeks after each phone call that I had with them, I went out to a camp and then another week after that is when I got offered after those camps.
0: Okay, so for the most part, that first the recruiting process that landed you at Baylor, was it mostly just Duke and Duke and Baylor at that point or were there a couple other schools that were coming in as well that were kind of on your radar?
1: There were a couple other schools, but like I said, those are my top two at the time, and I got my top two, and it's hard to kind of say no to your top two at the time.
0: Of course. So what were some some of those key things that you were looking for between Duke and Baylor um, when you would go on campus, you would go on visits, talk to the coaches, that was kind of just like maybe a checklist that you're like, okay, well, this school has this, this school has that. Um, like what were some of those key things that you were looking for within that first recruiting process?
1: So my main key thing is how much of a family is it? I love being a part of a big family because those are going to be your brothers, no matter what, your coaches are basically going to be your dads, no matter what, um, you spend eight hours a day with them all the time, 24 seven, most of the time. And then, um, that's kind of just the big one for me. was just how much of a family that did that program feel like.
0: Okay, so how long were you actually committed to Baylor before you decided to decommit and kind of go through a second recruiting process?
1: So up until I think May of this year. So okay. three years, so like two, three years.
0: Oh Man, that's that's a long time. So what was what was that relationship you built with that coaching staff there uh, with you being committed for so long?
1: That we were, he was like, Coach Rodriguez was kind of like my second dad. He knew everything, he came and watched me whenever he could. And then even this go around, he um tried to get me to go to Texas with him where he's the hitting coach at now.
0: Okay. So after after the coaching change, um, you have you have a great you have a great relationship with Coach Rodriguez, who's there at Baylor, and then he goes and you said he moved to Texas. Um mm-hmm. so after that coaching change, what was that like? Uh just maybe some thoughts that were going through your head and potentially like okay, should I just decommit it and just see what the options are and kind of just explore the market and see 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 what's going on within the recruiting process. Or like kind of just take us through what that whole process was until this past May when you decided to decommit.
1: So that whole thing happened in my head was just spinning. It was spinning a million miles an hour trying to basically wrap my mind around what I wanted to do. And then it all came down in the end that we thought it was the best decision to explore all my options and still keep Baylor as an option, but just go through the whole recruiting process again.
0: Okay, so how, how would you compare that second recruiting process after you decommitted from Baylor to that first recruiting process your eighth grade freshman year when you did uh, commit to Baylor?
1: So it was night and day, in my opinion, because now you can take actual visits. I never got to take an actual visit eighth grade. You just kind of got to go to a camp and just look around here for yourselves. But then now I went on three visits, A&M, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. You get to see everything about every single school, and it's it's just so much different than when I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, taking those visits.
0: So you said what, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Texas A&M?
1: Mississippi State and A&M, yes. Mississippi
0: State, A&M, okay. So if you had to go about in that second recruiting process when you were talking to Tennessee, A&M, and Mississippi State, how would you go about kind of comparing those three schools and kind of what was it that landed you at Tennessee?
1: So the thing that landed me, I think, the most at Tennessee was the coaching staff. You look at how many 100 mile arms like I already said, how how many – bombs they hit in a year they have to be doing something right because a couple years ago they weren't they weren't that good i i wouldn't say they weren't that good but they weren't where they were at now yeah so they had to be doing something right they finally figured out what clicked how what to do with players and then like i said i just fell in love with the campus that tennessee is always where i wanted to go in my opinion i've always wanted to live there we went to a tournament when we were 12 in the pigeon forge area which is only like an hour hour and a half from from Tennessee, the Tennessee campus. And it's just beautiful out there. I love how country it is. You think of you think of Tennessee, you're thinking of Knoxville.
0: Yeah. So how how would you compare those those three campuses in a way? Because I mean, I know you said um, never mind. How would you how just how would you compare those three campuses?
1: So Starkville and Mississippi State is a small area. I wouldn't say a small campus, but the the surrounding town of Starkville is just a small area. I used to be the small area guy with Waco not that big, not that much to do, but then as you kind of get older and more mature, you're kind of like, maybe I kind of want to expand this, see what the big city is all about and all that. And then then um, College Station. College Station is a straight college town. I will 100% admit that. Um, it's close to my house. Been there many, many times just watching football games, baseball games out there. And then uh, Tennessee, I just, Knoxville is just the place to be in my opinion it's beautiful out there it's there's so much to do so much around you and then like i said the campus is just amazing yeah
0: so what are some so obviously um we've mentioned Derek Schaefer earlier in the podcast um you've gotten to play up against some other tennessee commits as well uh, but what are some of the relationships you have with some of your future teammates there at tennessee
1: so it's funny you say you mentioned Derek's name actually that is my roommate that's one of my roommates okay. for for tennessee um him camden bates and cole Eaton. we're all roommates for um when we go up there and then um, just getting to know each other. We were out there, uh, what was it, well, not last, not this week, this past weekend, but two weekends ago. Everyone just knew like they they already knew each other. Even though some people had no clue who other people were, you still acted like you knew them, like your brothers already.
0: And I, t- I take it when you guys were on your visit, you got to go to a football game, right?
1: Yes, the Kentucky game.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. so what, so you said the Kentucky game was a blowout score, wasn't super close like like the Alabama game was. But no, kind of take us through what the atmosphere was like there in Knoxville with those 102,000 screaming uh, 102, screamin fans.
1: That is just different. You think co- Texas high school football games are different? You have to go to a college football game that is crazy about football. That was probably the most insane experience of my life, just how many people are there, how many people are still into the game when it's like 35 to 4 or, or 35 to 6 or whatever it was. How many people are just still locked into the game? And then um, it was Halloween weekend too, so they were wearing their all blacks. The crowd was blackout. Ooh. They um slow they slowed down the Rocky Top song to make it like scary and like ominous. That was that was cool when they were introducing the teams. That's what they came out to. I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing.
0: Yeah, no, no, like you said. I mean, you said Knoxville's the place to be, and I just can't imagine going to a Tennessee football game right now. It was just the team you guys have. I mean, I I mean, as a college kid, I mean I like to party too. So I mean, <laughs> I, I would I would love to go to Knoxville and just kind of experience that for a week. And I got a buddy who's got a girlfriend down there. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe next fall you'll be seeing me there in Knoxville, uh maybe having a couple beers and watching you guys uh, win some games next year. Um, but no hey, hey, come down whenever you want. Okay, awesome. Uh so with you being with you being a 23 guy and you heading to Knoxville next fall, when does when does signing day come? Because I know I've been seeing like Max Clark, RJ Hamilton. Um, and some of those Vandy guys. I know they've been saying that they're signing here. Like I guess, to, like I think today, tomorrow, right? tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Yes, okay, sir. So mm-hmm. Are you signing tomorrow as well? Yes.
1: Yeah, so this is early signing day. So this is kind of every sport but football really signing tomorrow. And then uh, yeah, school is coming out to watch. And then I'm having a party with friends and family after too.
0: OK, so what are you looking forward to most to finally making it official now that I mean you were committed to Baylor for three years and now you've been committed to Tennessee for a while. So what are you looking forward to most just to making it official and just looking forward to the next step in your in your long, long baseball career?
1: I just say, like you just said, just making the next jump to college baseball. You've been through it your whole entire life and then everyone keeps getting better and better or better and better competition, which makes you better and better the further you go.
0: Yeah. So what what is the relationship you have with that Tennessee coaching staff I mean, obviously, you haven't known. Well, I, you have known them as long as the Baylor coaching staff. But you're just your re- relationship has started to build quickly as you've been committed here mm-hmm. for not super long. But no, what is your relationship with the Tennessee coaching staff?
1: Considering that I have been, I'm one of the last two people to commit. It's they act like I've been there for four years, like I have been Baylor.
0: Okay. Um. So I know we talked about football there for a little bit. What is? What are your <laughs> projections here for the rest of the football season?
1: So as a ten- biased Tennessee fan, I'm hoping after the loss to Georgia that they're still the top four and win out the rest of the season and still make the college football playoffs.
0: Okay, that's like I said, that's what I'm hoping for. If so, I will be in Knoxville uh, that first week of January because I, I turned 21 that weekend before. So gotcha. I, will, I will be in Knoxville. If you guys make the CFP, I will definitely be in Knoxville watching. <laughs> like, like I said, I mean, the, the school that Morgan Wallen's fans of, I'm fans of. So Exactly. No. Um, so digging into your advisor selection process. You said that you, oh, obviously you are 2023. So now you're mm-hmm. into your last, your senior spring, right before the MLB draft in 2023. So let's just kind of dig into your advisor selection process, since that's kind of, like I said, the career I'm trying to go into once I graduate from college here in a couple of years. Um, but no, just when was not that agents and advisors kind of started reaching out to you?
1: It sounds crazy to say this, but uh, what was that, junior national? So sophomore year. Okay. it's it's crazy to think that people start contacting you like not even when you're 16 yet so I would think I was 15
0: when that happened so yeah people just start contacting you just right after that okay I mean I've so I know for a couple of the guys that I've had on who are like ranked like top five in, in their in their uh, class like they yeah. said that they've had guys reach out to them when they were like freshmen and that that yeah. was I mean that's just crazy to me and, and uh, personally I mean that's that's a little bit of like a like a scare. Cause obviously like with me being so young, like you have to start building relationships four or five years in advance Yes, um, for, you to, for you to even kind of have a chance with a guy. Uh, but no, wh- so when those guys were reaching out sophomore year, what was their main way of reaching out? Was it in person? Was it over the, or was it through text message? I know some agents kind of like to use like the Twitter, Instagram, direct message uh, kind of like, what were some ways that they were messaging you?
1: So if they could find you at the big events, they'd come up and introduce themselves and talk to you. But if they couldn't find you, they would just text you, email you the very next day.
0: Okay. So when you were going through that process of choosing an advisor, um, kind of how long did you wait to kind of get to know the person, kind of build a relationship with them? And then what were some of the key things that you were looking for before you were like, okay, like, I believe this advisor is probably the best for me in my career.
1: So I think the advisor that we have now, we've been talking to since the junior national. So I think it's been two years, two a year and a half, two years almost that we've been talking to him. but. um, what we found out with him, what we love about him, he's focused on you and your best intentions. There are some people out there that have multiple clients that just, they kind of just float around. Whoever's doing the hottest at the moment, that's kind of who they focus on. But uh, my advisor right now, he's all in on me and it just feels good to be have someone that is focused mm-hmm. on you and your best intentions.
0: So when you were going through that process and you had multiple guys reaching out, was there something that an advisor did or didn't do that um, you kind of just like kind of crossed them off your list in your mind um, just after they potentially did a certain thing?
1: So I wouldn't necessarily say it was a a bad thing, but, but like I said, they have so many people. One person has so many people that they can't necessarily go to every single one of your games. As my advisor now, he lives in Austin. He comes out to Houston area, wherever we're at. He flew out to Georgia just to come see me play. Yeah.
0: So how how far is how far is Austin from Houston? Because I know, I mean, you guys got the Dallas, Houston, and Austin kind of like in that triangle. So like how far is Austin from Houston?
1: So Austin I'd say is about three, and then Dallas I'd say is about four.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, Texas, Texas is so huge. It's, yes. It's crazy. I went there for the first time for spring break this past spring, and it was just like, oh, I was in Dallas. I was like, oh, let's go to Austin. I look at the map, and it's like – three and a half hours away. Like Mm -hmm. definitely not going there. Uh, But no, um, just a couple more questions here for you before we ended off talking about baseball enough. So kind of just, as we ended off, let's kind of dig through um, yourself off the field. So the fans kind of get to know you besides just the ball player. Um, So Mm -hmm. when you're not playing baseball, what are some of the passions that you have beyond the field?
1: Um, Video games. I love MLB the show. I am an avid MLB the show player. That is like one game I play every, every like full year round. I don't, Really stop playing it at all, and then um, Madden. I'm also a very avid Madden player. Um, yeah. Our friends are in a whole league. We every year we make our own league. We compete for the Super Bowl. We get very, very, very competitive for no reason whatsoever. It's a video game, and then um, my other big hobby is fishing. I love fishing.
0: Okay, so when you're playing MLB the Show and uh, Madden, like what it, I know you said you kind of compete with your buddies, but like what's your favorite? What's your favorite part of the game? Like for ba- MLB the Show, is it franchise or to the Show? Like, what, what's your what's your favorite part of MLB
1: The Show? So, for MLB The Show, I'm a big Diamond Dynasty guy. Okay. it's I love playing against other people because that, that's how you get better. And then there's not really that many, I would say, sweaty people compared to Madden. Madden, you have your people that pay for every single card in the game that just absolutely destroy you, and then it just gets no fun. So, mm-hmm. on Madden, I'm a big franchise guy in Madden.
0: Okay. See, I I always wanted to play Diamond Dynasty – but then I was like, man, as soon as you start a game, you have to play for nine full innings. Uh-huh. I was like, man, I just, I just want to hit. Like that's all I want to do.
1: So I think this year in Diamond Dynasty, I think I've only lost like four games.
0: Wow, what? How many wins? Sixty or seventy something. Ooh, who's all on your team?
1: Um, to be honest with you, I don't even remember at the moment. I switch, I switch people in and out so much yeah. just to trying to find the cards I'm good with. Yeah, but. Like Chipper Jones, Chipper Jones will always be in my lineup no matter what. He's yeah. his swing is just so good. Yeah.
0: I see. I I like I like Madden 2K and and we'll be the show. I haven't so I actually haven't played video games since like the whole COVID the whole mm-hmm. COVID thing happened in like March 2020. Um, but no, like I when I used to play, like I always used to use those three games just to kind of like get a feel of like who's on what like roster because obviously yes. mm-hmm. for, for baseball, like I mean, relief pitchers are changing teams every. Like, every trade deadline, every offseason, they're signing with a new yeah. team. Um, so, no, like, that was always kind of my way to kind of keep track of, like, what players on what team. Like, no, it's – like, now that I don't play it, like, there's players that I – who used to be, let's say, on the Giants. Because I'm I'm in the Midwest, so I follow, like, the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Cubs are my favorite team. Like, there's a relief pitcher who I used to think is on the Giants that now has played for, like, three different teams. And I had no clue because, I mean, he's just a relief pitcher. And I, I, didn't, I didn't get to play him on order of the show. Yeah but no um so to dig into the woodlands a little bit um like i said i've interviewed a couple guys from the woodlands in the past obviously carson is from that area as well i believe um so what what is the woodlands like when it comes to just things to do and just what what is the overall like i guess vibe i don't like to say vibe but like what is the vibe of that town
1: so there's a lot of trees that that's why we're called the woodlands obviously but um so there's a bunch of trees nothing everything is hidden here it's surrounded by trees hidden and then uh just everyone knows each other here pretty much you have everyone from every different school we have there's two schools in the woodlands um it used to just be the woodlands but then they split up into college park and then the woodlands but like I said you still know everyone that goes to almost every school
0: okay so how like if you had to kind of say like how big the town is like how like can you count the amount of stop signs you have on one hand or is is it bigger than that
1: oh it, it's a pretty big town and it's not done growing at all either
0: okay so what what do you thinks the the reason for all the growth just because it's so close to Houston?
1: I th- I think that's exactly what it is. People like this area, and then all the jobs that are in Houston, people commute to Houston every morning. I know that for a fact because a lot of my friends' parents have jobs in in the city, but they still live up here.
0: Okay, so are so I know you said you like to fish. So is there a lot of with with it being a like really woody area? Is there a lot of places for you to fish as well?
1: Yes, there's a lot of ponds. Every corner you can turn, there's a some sort of a pond, creek, or any, something, anything from back here.
0: Okay, so with your school, with your county, your town rival being College Park, you said that's their name, right?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. So are
0: they are they pretty solid at baseball as well? Or are you guys kind of dominant over them at this point?
1: So the past couple of years, it's been competitive, I'd say. And then um, last year is kind of when we pulled away from them a little bit. But um, basketball they're they've always been a good basketball school that you have to give them props for that.
0: So what? what's Texas? So obviously everyone hears about Texas high school football, Texas high school baseball. What's Texas high school basketball like?
1: I haven't been to many games to tell you what it is, but those games that you go to, especially the college park games, it gets rowdy in there. People start talking, people start
0: chirping. So I imagine it's almost the same type of atmosphere as both. I'm sure. So what's a Have, have you been to a college park and Woodlands high school football game? Yes, mhm okay what so what's high school football like from your from just your eyes being a student there in Texas, um obviously, like I said, I mean Texas high school football is known around the nation as the best state for high school football. So mm-hmm. with your eyes of being a student there and kind of going to a game every Friday, like what's your opinion on high school football in Texas?
1: I would say the same exact thing as everyone else. It is the most competitive thing you have will ever see in your entire life so even the good games or even the uh, not so good games, we still, our student section still sells out every single game, pretty much.
0: That's, that, I mean, I mean, that's gotta, I mean, that's gotta be a cool atmosphere, but no, yes. Uh, move, moving away. We've got, I got three questions left. So right. these past, these past couple of guys I've been interviewing, I've been kind of getting just uh, digging a little bit deeper into them as the personal side, besides just a couple mm-hmm. random questions about their hometown and stuff. Um, so when it comes to motivation, Like, what is it that kind of motivates you just to continue on with your baseball career and just get up every day and just try and win that day every day?
1: Um, I say the biggest thing is my parents. They've invested so much time and money in me that I just want to repay them somehow with making my dream come true, which they've been playing everything for. And hopefully one day um, it was Brady Singer I saw a couple of years ago. He paid off all of his parents' debt with the signing bonus. And that's kind of always been what I've wanted to do.
0: Yeah. So when it when it comes to your dream and paying off your your uh your parents debts and, and all that when it, when it comes to that what is your perfect picture of your life in 20 years from now so I'm gonna take it you're 17 18 years old so when you're 37 38 like what if everything goes right what would be that perfect picture of your life
1: just having the whole family like extended family too just coming out to the ballpark and hopefully I'm still playing like Justin Verlander when he's 37 38. And hopefully just everyone coming, watching me, enjoying the game and having a good time, making money, doing what I love, playing kids game.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great dream to have. And I hope I hope exactly.
1: Never,
0: I mean, it's it's cool to see Justin Verlander now. Like um, I saw the videos of him and Kate Upton and the, their son um, after the World Series. And it was cool kind of like now at the point to where he's like, like at the end of his baseball career and he's like an actual like father, like kind of going through and kind of giving his kid all the opportunities to experience all that. Like, it's it's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um Down to the last question, and this is a question I've been asking people for a while. So once you head to Knoxville or whatever happens next summer uh, when it comes to the draft, and you get the opportunity to either capitalize off your name, image, and likeness or endorse a brand just as a, as a pro ball player, uh, what would be your dream brand to either endorse, collaborate, or whatever what happens to be? What would be that dream brand?
1: So I'm a big shoe guy, very, very big shoe guy, and it's I know it's hard to get this. Company to sponsor you, but it would probably be Jordan. Jordan, oh, Jordan, baseball player, like like Jeter, Mookie Betts, Jeter. It's tough to get them to sponsor you, though. That's the big thing.
0: No, I I I love the Jordan. I love the Jordan brand. Like, yes, it's it's, it's, that's that's a lot better answer than Nike because I get Nike all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, for some people, I kind of just be like, hey, like, what's your? I tell them like, what's your dream brand besides Nike? Just because I get I get Nike so often, but no Jordan, no Jordan brand's a cool brand. I I wish Jordan would get more involved within baseball. It'd be cool to see because I know how you know how um, in the NBA since Nike now does their jerseys like yes. for, for those cert for like the, one of the special jerseys, it's actually Jordan a Jordan patch yes. mm-hmm. on the Nike. It'd be cool now that Nike does baseball. Maybe they did like the city edition jerseys with the Jordan logo or something. Or sponsored
1: by Jordan. Yeah. That would be actually very cool.
0: Yeah. That, that, that would be something extremely cool. I don't Does Since UNC is sponsored by Jordan, does Jordan do UNC baseball? I wonder that's something I'm going to have to look up. So they
1: do UNC baseball, OU, and then um, Michigan, I think are the three, if I'm not wrong. All
0: right. I'm going to have to look those up and see what a Jordan brand baseball jersey looks like. (laughs) No. Uh, but no, man, that's, that's all the questions I got for you. really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I do want to wish you the best of luck as you heading into your senior spring, head into next summer, as you go through that draft process, and then whether or not you play pro ball next fall, or you're going to Knoxville and uh, go and play in there for a couple of years, just best of luck with whatever happens within your baseball career. I, I'll definitely be following just because I'm so appreciative of all the guys who come on the podcast. I kind of just like following their career. Um, So no, man, but just thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a fun time getting to know you too, just and then just talking about everything.